six years ago, this upcoming June, will be a very big day, or was a very big day in the life of my family, for two reasons. The first reason was because we moved into a new house just northeast of Minneapolis, and some of you know that because you were there helping us move into that house and unloading boxes, carrying furniture into that house. That day was a big day for another reason. Because, literally, I, I remember this vividly as we were bringing the very last box in. My wife says, you know, I think this might be it. And sure enough, my wife, who was very pregnant at the time, was indeed experiencing labor. And only a couple hours later, we were headed to the labor and delivery center where that very evening, my wife gave birth to our second born, Kate Elizabeth. That was a big day. And I like to joke to people. I said, on the same day we moved into a house and we had a baby, and I'll let you decide whether those two things are related. I'm pretty confident they probably were. Grateful that everything worked out well there. And I'll never forget, as we were in the labor and delivery center at the University of Minnesota Hospital, I don't know whether it was this time or another one, but Tabitha and I were walking in the hallway as right, you're passing time as the contractions are continuing on and leading to the birth. And there's something that's a little bit off-putting about being in the labor and delivery center. Because sometimes you hear other people delivering. And thank you, Ben. And we're walking up and down the hall, and suddenly we pass a room, and there are noises coming out of that room. And they're very off-putting sounds coming out of that room. And as the husband, you can't do much other than kind of turn to your wife and put a, a sympathetic arm and say, honey, it's going to be okay. We'll get through this. All that to say there, I'm looking out in an audience of many mothers. You know exactly what labor and delivery is like. You know the pain. You know the anguish. But you also know this. You know the joy that overwhelms all the pain and all the suffering the moment that precious new life is placed on your chest. And you say, it was worth it. It was worth it. Why am I starting here? Because Paul wants us to take a look a trip to the labor and delivery center in Romans chapter 8. He wants us to realize that there is labor and delivery going on right now. And I'm not talking about in the hospital. I'm not talking about a labor and delivery that a nurse or a doctor or a midwife does. He is talking about a labor and delivery that all of us are experiencing Look with me at Romans chapter 8, whether you have that in your physical copy of the Bible or whether you have that on an app. I just want all of us to be looking at this important topic. Paul says in verse number 22, For we know. The idea of know there is confident, complete confidence. We have no doubt that the whole creation 
What does that include? The whole creation. Are you created? Are you a created being? Yes. Is our world a created being? Yes. Is our universe a created entity? Yes. Whole creation involves everyone sitting here and everything in this universe. The whole creation groaneth and travaileth in pain together until now. He's talking about birth. He's talking about labor and delivery. That's the clear picture that he has in mind here. He says all of us, and in fact the entire material world, is in labor. And it's in labor in pain. And you say, why is that important? Friends, this week, as I said already this morning, the eyes of the entire world are on us, this city. This week, I was on a work call with three attorneys from the United Kingdom, from Great Britain. And one of them had, I hadn't worked with him before, and he asked me, so where are you located? And I said, Minneapolis. And I immediately had to say, yeah, nothing going on here. And all of them laughed because they knew exactly what's going on here because it's front page news over in Great Britain. And in fact, everywhere in the world. The eyes of the world are on us. And the question I have for all of us this morning is not just in relationship to what we're experiencing as a city right now, but what we are experiencing as a world right now. How do we as Christians look at that? How do we think about it? And I want to take us with Paul this morning to the labor and delivery room and see what the labor and delivery room will teach us about what our world is experiencing and how we should respond. The title of the message this morning is A World in Labor. A World in Labor. And I want us to understand what Paul is saying here in Romans chapter 8 and how that might change the way that we think about the pain and the contractions and the tragedies that we see around us even now. Let's start as we always do with letting the Bible speak to us before we speak to it. This is central to understanding the word of God. We allow it to speak with to us before we step in and speak to it. So look at your Bibles on the first verse that Brother Johnny, thank you, Johnny, for reading that. That was wonderful this morning. Verse number 18 says to us, in verse 17, Paul has looked forward to this glory that we're going to experience with Jesus. And he says, if so be that we suffer with him, with Jesus, that we may be also glorified together. Our fate is linked with Jesus Christ. He suffered and we suffer with him. He has been glorified. And now Paul says, we're going to be glorified with him. We are together in his death. We are together in his suffering. And we will be together in his eternal life. Now notice in verse 18 what he says. He says, for I reckon that the sufferings of this present time, all the difficulty that we're going through now, are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. If you were to put a balancing scale and you were to put all the sufferings that Christians are going through today and you were to balance it out against the glory that we're going to share in Jesus Christ eternally, just what, what, what Paul is saying is you can't even compare it. The scale tips so decisively that it's as if nothing is on this side. Do you believe that? Do you feel that? 
Verse 19 says, For the earnest expectation of the creature waiteth for the manifestation of the sons of God. And you might say, what on earth does that mean? Let's break it down. The earnest expectation, what is being earnestly expected or desired by whom? By the creature. Now we need to understand, this is the same word that Paul uses when he later says the creation. And that's what Paul means here. He's not talking about like an animal critter. He's talking again about the entire creation, what has been created. So all of creation, he says, is earnestly expecting something. What are they earnestly expecting and waiting for? The manifestation of the sons of God. You say, what on earth is that? For God's children to be revealed. It's as if, listen to how J.B. Phillips, the commentator, this is his paraphrase of this verse. It's wonderful. The whole creation is on tiptoe to see the wonderful sight of the sons of God coming into their own. The whole creation is, is as if they're eagerly anticipating to see the children of God are going to be revealed by God himself one day. They're eagerly expecting something. Notice what he says again in verse 20. For the creature, and again, the, the idea is the entire creation, all the created order was made subject to vanity, not willingly, not voluntarily, but by reason of him, God, who has subjected the same in hope. You say, what does that mean? What he's talking about is going back to the very beginning. When in result of man's sin, the world fell under a curse. God subjected it to vanity, to futility, to frailty, to brokenness, to all the challenges we see around us today. And God was the one who subjected it in hope. In hope of what? Redemption? What is our hope? That we're going to be redeemed one day to the way God intended us to be? What is creation's hope? What is the hope of our material world right here? That God is going to redeem it to the way it was intended to be. We're going to look at this in future weeks. We need to understand what heaven is. More importantly, we need to understand what a new heaven and a new earth is. It's not going to be floating around on clouds playing harps. Do you know what heaven actually is? A new earth. Something we feel. Material. It's the redemption to take back to what God always intended. The devil's not going to win. God is going to be victorious. Notice then, keep on going. What does he say in verse 21? Because the creature itself, again, the created order itself, also shall be delivered from the bondage, the slavery of corruption, into the glorious liberty of the children of God. What's our state? The liberty and glory of being God's children for eternity. And he says, what he's saying is, the world is going to be delivered too. This material world is going to be redeemed. It's going to be suited and fitted for our redemption. A new heaven and a new earth. Keep on going. For we know, here's our verse, for we know that the whole creation groaneth and travaileth, is groaning and travailing in labor pangs together until now. Again, you get the picture. The whole creation is eagerly awaiting new birth, is eagerly awaiting redemption when all the created order is redeemed to God's original intent. And what's happening in the meantime? It's laboring in pain. 
He says in verse 23, and not only they, not only that created order, but ourselves also, Christians, which have the first fruits of the Spirit. God has already given us a promise in the Holy Spirit that we're going to be redeemed. But even we ourselves, grown, we're part of those labor pains as well within ourselves, waiting for the adoption to wit, the redemption of our body. We're waiting to be redeemed into the way God originally intended us. All right, do you see the picture? All of creation, including us, are groaning in pain because we're in labor and delivery. Let's start, first of all, what the world is experiencing. What the world is experiencing. We just talked about it there. Labor pangs. Now, we listened to that old song by Louis Armstrong. I see trees of green, red roses too. I see them bloom for me to you and I, for me and you. And I think to myself, what a wonderful world. You've probably sung that or heard it, or you've had a similar thought. This world is amazing. And it is. It is. But do you know what it also is? Broken. Tragic. Sad. Go down to the oncology unit at the University of Minnesota Hospital and see the children there whose hope of life is vanishing quickly, and you can't say it's a wonderful world in the same conviction. Go out and see those who are hopeless and despairing and ending their life day after day after day, and you can't say it's a wonderful world with the same conviction. It's a tragic place, this world is. It's a sad place. It's a suffering place. It's a place of pain. And that's what Paul means here. The world, the created order is travailing in pain. And if you look at all of recorded human history, do you know what you see over and over again? Injustice, evil, oppression, suffering, death, loss, despair, self-centeredness. You see it all. That's what Paul's talking about. We all, the created order is suffering because we see the world around us as being a place of great loss. Now, what is the world suffering from? Look at verse number 20. He says, for the creature, the created order was made subject to vanity. Now, we need to put a pin in that word. What is vanity? The idea of this word is futility or frailty or weakness or emptiness. And wouldn't you say that's characteristic of the world around us? Go read Ecclesiastes like our men have been doing in our weekly Bible studies, and you'll get a hard dose of the vanity of life under the sun. The preacher in the book of Ecclesiastes is looking at everything that he's pursued and invested in his life in. And what's his conclusion under the sun? Vanity of vanities, all is vanity, empty, futile, hopeless. Thankfully, by the end of the book, he gets his eyes above the sun and he sees the eternal God and he says, fear God and honor him. Fear God and keep his commandments. That's the whole duty of man. But under the sun, we're subject to vanity. Go to a, 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 um, a cemetery sometime when you're next there and go look at some of the stones, the gravestones that are completely covered over with grass and paw your foot at them and, and push back some of the grass and look at those people and think about them. They died 200 years ago. Not one person has had a thought about them for 100 years. And you're struck by, was that vain? It seems so futile. What, what was the purpose of their life? 
They're not remembered. They maybe had money. They gave it to their children. Their children utterly waste it. They worked their life for it. They gave it to someone who was going to do perhaps evil and wickedness with it. What is the point? What Paul is saying is, this created order was made subject to vanity, to futility and frailty. Not only that, notice what also he says in verse number 21. Because the creature, again, the created order itself also shall be delivered from the bondage of what? Corruption. The idea there is decay. We see the decay in the world. We see the decay in the physical order and the evil that it wreaks on us. We see hurricanes. We see tornadoes that we have no ability to control. We see earthquakes. Do you know what an earthquake is? It is literally in, a, in the very core of the earth, the, the, the foundation, if you will, of the earth. It is slipping. It is dropping and is creating such incredible pressure that results in these destructive forces that we have no ability to stop. It's decay. It's corruption. But friends, that is a picture of moral corruption and decay. What is the fundamental aspect of mankind's history and of our reality right now? Moral decay. We were made to love God supremely and to love others as ourselves. And we turn all of that like a mirror back in love solely to ourselves and supremely to ourselves. The story of our world even today is one of self-centeredness that leads to injustice and oppression and evil wherever the wind, that wicked wind, blows itself. That is the reality of mankind. And you can't read your Bibles without being confronted by the same thing. Read as we did in the book of Judges. What happened when every man did that which was right in his own eyes? Chaos. Moral evil and decay that threaten the very existence of God's people in that time. This is what the world is experiencing. Pain. Decay. Futility, frailty, and we experience it all around us. We, see, we have seen very poignantly in the city of Minneapolis and its suburbs these last several weeks and months, tragedy. Whatever we want to think about what happened to Dante Wright as a 20-year-old, it was an unspeakable tragedy. At best, a tragic accident robbed a 20-year-old of his life. That's tragic. That's horrible. And we see it all around us. Whether again, whether it is by mistake or by intention, we see the self-centeredness that leads to evil and oppression and injustice and tragedy. That's what the world is experiencing today. And my question, secondly, is what God is producing because again, if this picture, if we're going to the labor and delivery room and we're seeing all of the created order groaning, suffering under tragedy and oppression and loss, both by physical and material and spiritual forces, Paul says you need to understand what's happening. What's happening? A baby's coming. That's what's happening. A baby is coming. Now, what is this baby that Paul is picturing? It's this fundamental reality. He calls it the glorious liberty of the children of God. 
The glorious liberty of the children of God. We are enslaved to corruption in this earth. We are enslaved, if you will, to suffering in this earth. And what does God say? One day you're going to be free. And it's going to be glorious. What does he mean by that? It will be liberated from vanity. We look around at this world and we say, where's the meaning to it? It seems so empty. I I, I am born. I live. I die. And then what? Everything in that world will have meaning because all of it will be oriented around the supreme object and purpose of life, which is the glory of God. Every single action, every word you speak, every deed you do in that redeemed humanity will have purpose and meaning. There will be no vanity in it. There will be no futility to anything you do. You'll be liberated from corruption. There will be no more physical decay. What a wonderful thing it was when we heard Johnny read this morning with his fingers. One day physical corruption will not have blindness for Johnny. It will not have any physical weakness for any of you. It will be a completely redeemed body with all the glory of Jesus Christ's redeemed body will be liberated from earthly corruption, from all the tragedy, the evil, from cancer, from every single disease that will afflict mankind. Why? Because Revelation 22.3 says, and there shall be no more curse. There's going to be no more laboring that day. Revelation 21, 4 says, and God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes and there shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain for the former things, corruption, vanity, evil, injustice. They are passed away. Revelation 21, 27 says, and there shall in no wise enter in to it, into that city, that new city of Jerusalem, anything that defiles, neither whatsoever works abomination or makes a lie, but they which are written in the Lamb's book of life, it will be entirely free from moral decay and moral corruption. Now, what does that mean? What does that mean for us? Why has God brought about a system where the entire created order is suffering and groaning and travailing in labor right now, eagerly anticipating what's coming. This problem of evil and suffering has been the bane of theologians. It's caused some people to walk away from their faith. I don't have a perfect answer, but I want to suggest this. It's a demonstration clearly of what you and I have chosen. Some of you have children recognize this. Your child does something reckless and breaks something very valuable. And you don't sweep it under the rug. You don't pick it up quietly. You take your child over to that and said, look at what you did. This had tremendous value and now it's broken. And you're going to be the one to pick it up and pay for it. And it's as if God is putting a demonstration on all the canvas of the created order to say, mankind, you chose this. Don't you see in our physical world today, what did God intend for us to do? He said from the very beginning, you exercise lordship. You rule over the created order. And now what do we see? The created order rebelling against us. We put in seeds into the ground and up come thorns and briars, just like God said. We try to preserve our life and then a disease like cancer takes over and we have no control over it and it leads to our death. We see earthquakes and tornadoes, natural disasters. The, er- the earthly world is, it seems, rebelling against us and God looks at us and says, that's what you're doing against me. 
this is the curse that you have chosen. That's one answer. G.K. Chesterton, the famous old British author, there's a wonderful story. It could be apocryphal, but it's just wonderful. The Times of London uh, was said to have written letters to famous authors to say, what is wrong with the world today? And it said that G.K. Chesterton wrote back a very simple letter to the Times of London. He responded, dear sir, I am yours, G.K. Chesterton. What is wrong with the world? I am. No, not to say that G.K. Chesterton is the worst person who ever lived. It means what is inside me is inside all of us. What is wrong with the world? That. Moral decay. I am what's wrong with the world. And until I'm willing to grapple with that, I'm not going to understand the picture. But not only that, what Paul is getting to here is that clearly what God is intending is that all the sufferings that we're experiencing, all the groanings and travailings that are going on in the world are preparing us for something incomparably better. Why is it that moms have a connection to a newborn baby that a dad never can have? Let me tell you, a dad can have a wonderful connection to a newborn baby. There's something unbelievably powerful about the way a dad reacts to his daughter from just the moment she's born. But you know, friends, moms have something different. Why? Because, dad, you didn't suffer like mom did. You didn't groan and travail like mom did. And it's exactly because mom suffered that the moment that baby is placed on her chest, there is a bond that no one else in the world can understand for that baby. God is saying the same thing, I think, to us. Yeah, the whole world is groaning and suffering and travailing, but guess what? It's going to be worth it. It's going to be worth it when God produces new life. And friends, I want to ask you this morning, like I've had to ask myself, when I was preparing for this message, is this your reality? Do you know, with beyond a shadow of a doubt, what's coming for you one day? Do you, do you know beyond a shadow of a doubt, is your hope fixed on the fact that God is going to redeem all the created order, including your body, if you are in Jesus Christ? Friend, if you don't feel that, if that is not your lived reality and experience, we're not going to know how to respond to the, earth, to, the, to the pangs that are going on in our world. Why? Let me demonstrate it to you this way. There was a video that was popular circulating. It was intending to produce for a man the pain a woman experiences in her labor. And it was some kind of device that they put around the man's midsection and he was creating pain. Of course, the joke of it was that these big macho tough guys literally just fell to their knees. Make it stop. Make it stop. We're less tough than we think we are, guys. I want you to imagine this. What if your life was the pain of labor and delivery without any hope of new birth? What if, you, moms, you know what I'm talking about. If, if, the, if, the, if all the intense agony of labor and delivery was your lived experience and you couldn't look ahead to a baby coming out of it, what would you do? What all of us do? We would go one of two ways, it seems to me. One way is we would just try to, de to, to deaden it and dull the pain. We would say, give me your best medication they're going to say, I, I, I can't deal with this. 
There's another thing that you might turn to. If, if the pain medication couldn't to, to do it, you turn to despair. I give up. Life is not worth living if it's this kind of, of, of agony and tragedy. Friend, and I, what I want to suggest to you is that a world without Jesus Christ will turn eventually to one of those two things. What do you see in our world around us? You see some people who say, yeah, the world is a really tragic place and I'm just going to become dead to it. I'm not going to feel it. I'm not going to look at it. I'm, not going to I'm going to pretend there's no evil or injustice or suffering or tragedy because I just can't handle it. And what do you do? I'm going to go medicate, self-medicate. I'm going to give myself my money. I'm going to give myself to pleasure. I'm going to give myself to everything that this world can offer, and I'm going to turn a blind eye to any evil in the world because I just can't handle it. I would say, friends, that's the vast majority. That is the bulk of humanity today. That's materialism. It's hedonism. And that is what we are turning to today. We are constructing artificial and ultimately temporal realities to blind us to what is actually going on in the world today. But friends, there's another thing that we can turn to, and it's despair. It's those who simply say life is worth, not worth living, or even beyond that, they say despair turns to hatred and bitterness and revenge. I'm experiencing suffering and pain, and I don't seem to be able to make it go away. I'm going to fight. Look at the reaction. Look at what is, we are experiencing all over our world today. If I see these labor pangs, not as producing the glorious liberty of the children of God, but nothing at all, I'm going to turn to one of those two things. You see, friends, I've not only been to the labor and delivery room five times, I've been to other places of the hospital. I've been to the emergency room. I've been to the oncology department. I've been to the cardiology department. I've been to the hospice care. And friends, in those wards, you'll hear groaning too. You'll hear cries of suffering and pain. But friends, there's a real difference between labor pains and death pains. And unless you can tell the two apart, your reaction to them is not going to be what it should be. So what, thirdly, is the response of the Christian if we, if what we are experiencing in this world, in Minneapolis right now, are labor pangs, how are we going to make sure we're not acting like they're death pangs that turn us to either the deadness of medication, our self-medication, or the despair and disillusionment that so many are experiencing right now? Three things. One is how the Christian feels how, the Christian, how does the Christian feel about the world around them right now? Notice what Paul says. And not only they, not only the created order, but ourselves also which have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves. We feel. There is a way, again, that I said that even Christians can respond to tragedy. Tragedy that enters into our city that just medicates ourselves to it and deadens it and says, I don't even want to think about it. But that's not how Jesus was. Scripture tells us of Jesus that when he saw the multitude that was gathered before them, before him, people that were suffering from sickness and disease, people that were suffering from sin, Scripture says he was moved with compassion toward them. It stirred him up. 
When Jesus went to a funeral, John 11, when Jesus therefore saw her, Mary, his friend, the sister of the dead man, weeping, and the Jews also weeping, which came with her, he groaned in the spirit and was troubled. And he said, where have ye laid him? They said unto him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. Then said the Jews, behold how he loved him. I was really challenged this last week as we came to prayer meeting on Wednesday night. Let me just give a parenthesis. Do you know how we go to prayer meetings and pray together? Because when we hear how God is burdening other people to pray about situations, it informs how we pray and think about it. When's the last time you've been to a corporate prayer meeting? If, you, if it's been a while, you're missing out. But this last week... I was so challenged because as our brother Kelvin prayed about this situation in Brooklyn Center involving Dante Wright, he prayed that we and they would be able to grieve. And I said, that's exactly right. Because Romans 12 says, rejoice with them that do rejoice and weep with those that weep. And this kind of Christian feeling goes behind, beyond politics. It goes beyond cultural and social issues. It goes beyond ideologies. It is simply the identification with the labor pangs that our world is experiencing today that we weep, we groan, we grieve where we see evil and suffering and injustice and tragedy around us. Friends, do not lose our Christian testimony or our likeness to Jesus Christ by a hard-heartedness that turns away from evil and says, I'm not going to feel it. That's not like Christ. It's not what our calling as Christians is. We are the ones who know how to grieve just with hope. Secondly, it's not something just that we feel. It's something that we hope. Notice what Paul says. He says, we are waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. Verse 24, for we are saved by hope. But hope that is seen is not hope for what a man sees. What, what, why doth he yet hope for? Why, you don't hope for something that you already have. There are some of you today who are earnestly hoping that the Vikings are going to win a Super Bowl before you die. And guess what? If it had already happened, you wouldn't be hoping for it anymore because you would have seen it. You only hope for things that you don't yet have, that you don't yet see. And hope is that confident expectation that everything God says to us in the word of God is true about what's coming in the future. What is hoping for the redemption of all of this created order look like for us? It means that we never have to give in to revenge. We never have to give in to bitterness. We never have to give in to anger. Why? Because our God is bigger. Just like that woman in all her travail and pain of labor is looking ahead to say there's a baby coming. I won't give up. We look at all the suffering and in yes, injustice and yes, tragedy in our world. And we say, God's got something in this. I think back to Joseph, a man in the Old Testament whose own brothers sold him to be a slave, who was mistreated on a level that if you and I personally experienced that, how would we respond? And after his dad died, those same brothers came back to him and they wanted to make sure he wasn't going to kill them in revenge for what he did. And Joseph looked at them, those who had inflicted such misery and such agony on him and said, you meant it for evil, but God meant it for good. 
And it's those who take a trip to the labor and delivery room that see that no matter the suffering that is going on in our world, there is a God in heaven who is bigger than it. And who says, I can work even this tragedy for good eternally. We trust God through injustice, through evil, through suffering, through everything we're experiencing because we know that he is bigger than all of it. And it saves us from bitterness and anger and revenge. Friends, this week, we're going to get news. We're going to get news on a variety of fronts in this city. And there are going to be some that are going to respond in feelings of anger and revenge. Let it not be the Christian. Let it not be the Christian. Our God is bigger. Our God is bigger than that. Finally, not only something we feel, not only something we hope, but something we wait for. Notice what scripture says here. For what a man seeth, why doth he yet hope for? But if we hope for that we see not, then do we with patience, what does it say next? Wait for it. Wait for it with patience. Now, I want you to understand what he's saying here. He's not saying that we just sit in our houses and do nothing. And it's like we're just going to sit back and wait for it. Because Jesus himself said, no one puts a light so they can put a basket over it and hide it. And friends, you and I are called to be lights in this world. That means we stand for righteousness. We stand for justice and truth. We stand where God is standing on these things. I don't mean that we give in to our own kind of despair by just hiding out in the corner of our houses and waiting. No, but it gives meaning to everything we do. It means that as we stand on God's side in the world against the evil that we see around us, we do so patiently, not with despair. We do so patiently that God is bigger. That if my efforts see no fruit in my life, in any event, there is a glorious redemption for this entire created order that is worth working for and fighting for. It allows us to wait, to endure, no matter the labor pains that all of us, our entire created order, is experiencing now. Friends, this week and every week, but particularly this week when the eyes of the world are on us. We need to ask ourselves, how should Christians think and speak and act? I pray that in whatever circle you're in this week and whatever news we get this week, you would remember your trip to the labor and delivery room this morning. Your trip to be reminded that this world is a place of evil and tragedy and injustice and sorrow and sadness. But instead of turning us to hatred, instead of turning us to despair, instead of turning us to the medication, the self-medication of materialism and hedonism, God's people look ahead with patient waiting in hope that one day everything God has said in this world will come to pass that everything of redemption and the glorious liberty of the children of God will be revealed and all truly will be well. Friends, may this be our recollection in a world in labor. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you. We thank you this morning. Your word and your son
didn't come to turn away from the evil of this world. Jesus was the one who bore our griefs and carried our sorrows. He is the one who is there in all of the oppression and the injustice that his people will face on this earth. And he came to take all of it on himself. The sinless lamb of God became sin for us to take all the effects of our, of our curse on him. Father, the only hope we have of glorious liberty, of a new heaven and a new earth, is found in Jesus Christ. And I pray, Father, if there is even one person here who doesn't know whether they're the child of God by what Jesus did, may they not wait one more day. May today be the day that they bow before King Jesus May today be the day they accept him as Savior and Lord. May today be the day of their new birth as a child of God. Let's pause for a moment. If that's you this morning, you need to know, are you the child of God? Oh, I ask, I pray that you wouldn't leave this morning without getting certainty about that matter. Any of us from the church would love to talk to you about that. but I also encourage you, how have you been thinking about this world and labor? Have you been waiting and hoping and feeling? May the Spirit of God challenge us this morning. Kelvin Todd, would you come close us in prayer? Father, thank you. That your word is light. That your word is truth. That you speak to us, Lord, from an eternal perspective that affects our temporal needs. God, we have needs here. And we are groaning, and we are grieving, and we are hoping, and we are waiting. And let us wait with expectation, Father. God, I expect to see you. We expect to see you. And we know and we hear echoes around our city and around our world of those who don't expect to see you. But they will. God, prepare them. Teach us, your people, to take action as we wait with expectation that others who have not yet expected to see you will expect to see you with anticipation, with hope that their redemption indeed is drawing near. In Jesus' name, amen.